Welcome, Mercy Road, to week two of our sermon series called Imagine Heaven. We're talking about the afterlife, and we're looking at a book by Pastor John Burke, and this is a fascinating book. I came across it over a year ago. I've given over 100 copies away. This so moved me emotionally. And let me explain why maybe I am really moved by this subject of the afterlife. As many of you know, I was an army chaplain before I became a pastor in the local church. And I remember doing a death notification for a soldier who was killed in Afghanistan. I'll never forget that his mom asked something kind of strange at the time. She wanted to have his laundry sent to her from Afghanistan. But she specifically requested that the laundry not be washed. Think about that for a minute. She wanted to smell her son one more time. Why would somebody want to do that? Because deep down we know that we were made to last forever and death feels so unnatural. That division, that separation is unbearable. The good news is Jesus Christ has paid the ultimate price to reconcile us from death to life, and we can rise again with him. We're going to do something a little different for week two. We're talking about relationships in the afterlife, in heaven, and we're actually going to play the entire message from Pastor John Burke. Most of it is interviews with people who have had what researchers call NDEs, near-death experiences. And what John Burke does in this book and in the sermon series that we're basing our series on is he interviews NDEers and he gets their uh, witness account and experiences and compares those to what scripture has to say about the life to come. This is a fascinating, fascinating series of interviews and I'd like us to get to know the author and the pastor who we're basing this series on. I'll be watching this live with you, so I encourage you to comment on our live stream, whether you're streaming on Vimeo, on our Facebook, or on our website, rather, or on our live stream via Facebook. Let's be the church, because after all, the church is not a place, it's not a building, it is a people on a journey together that will never end. Welcome, Don Piper. Well, we've decided if you need prayer, you can do it. Yeah, so here I am. Well, and, and uh, the movie about Don's life, 90 Minutes in Heaven, is out in theaters right now. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to go see it. But It's hard to process. I mean, my life Was it is hard for, to do, watch yeah, that it's, again? It's my, my life is for sale at Walmart. And uh, <laughs> now, now it's, it's on the screen, and yeah. you're watching people say your words and and relive the things that you relived. Um, so, it, yes, it, it it's overwhelming. It wasn't easy or glory, was it? It was. Take uh, us back. It was difficult. Day. Take it. I mean, you were run over by an 18-wheeler. I was. I was. Uh, over in East Texas, I was on my way home from a Bible study or a pastor's conference to do a Bible study in Alvin, south of Houston. So, I was about 130 miles away. It was a cold, rainy January day, and I got in the car. I'm headed home. I'm headed to my church. And uh, I was on a bridge I'd never been on before. And uh, before I got off the bridge, an 18-wheeler crossed the center stripe and hit me head on. Probably 110 miles an hour of impact. Uh, I was killed instantly. Uh, blunt force trauma, uh, brain damage, impaled on the steering wheel. 
uh, the dashboard collapsed on my legs, my right leg broken. At the knee and the left leg was severed just above the knee, four and a half inches of femur was ejected from the car and never found. I put my hand up when the truck was coming for me. At the moment, the truck ran over me and it took my left arm into the back seat of the car and from here forward was lying on the back seat of the car. So, horrific accident. Um, there was nothing that could have been done to save me. Uh, they tried, met the paramedics. There were two other vehicles struck after my car. Vehicles, a big truck, three cars. That everyone else was fine. So, four paramedics worked on me. They did everything they could to try to revive me. And in spite of the best efforts, they were unsuccessful. So, the body was covered up with a tarp. Somebody, they declared you dead. They, they declared me dead, all four of them, and they're waiting for a medical examiner to come and do the paperwork so the body can be transported for an autopsy, do an investigation about what happened to me. But the moment the truck struck me, uh, I was absent from the body. That was just an earth suit like the one you're sitting in right now. Um, I was in heaven. Uh, I was at one of the gates of heaven, surrounded by people I had known and loved in this life who had preceded me in death. And we were having a spectacular time. I wasn't even remotely interested about what's happening back down on the bridge. There were a lot of things happening on the bridge, but I was having the greatest reunion you could possibly imagine. So, I mean, these are real people, people you knew. Who'd you see, what'd they look like? Yeah, I started with my grandfather. Uh, he was standing there at the gate uh, facing me, and uh, he looked great. I mean, last time I saw him, he did not look great. Uh, he had a heart attack and died. I was with him when he had the heart attack. And um, it was just heartbreaking to, to, to be with him and watch him die, pass away, very close to him. I tell people all the time, I've, I've broken virtually every bone in my body, and, um, and, it, and it hurt, but nothing hurts like a broken heart. Mm. And when he died, it broke my heart. A lot, a lot of you have a broken heart. I've met a lot today who are struggling with that. I met a lady just now, husband died three days ago. Oh. So a lot of you have broken hearts. Well, I understand what that it feels, but now I'm at, at the gate, and here's my grandfather standing in front of me, and he looks really, really good. If you want to look, look really, really good, heaven is where you want to be. <laughs> I mean, you look nice now, but I, he, he was even missing, because of his life of very hard labor, he, he was missing three fingers on one hand and two on the other. And he reached out to me and spoke verbally, and he said, welcome home, Donnie. Those were his words to me. This, that's what he used to call me here on earth, Donnie. And I looked out at the hands that used to hold me when I was a little boy, and all of his fingers were there. I'd never seen them before. He was really kind of ageless. He was perfect, fully recognizable as, as himself, but in a beautiful and perfect kind of way. I, he obviously knew I was coming. Everybody did. Uh, you don't sneak up on heaven. Everybody up there knows it's coming. <laughs> Uh, well, of course they do, because the Bible says when we give our heart to Jesus, when we trust Christ as Savior, our name is automatically inscribed on a registration book up there called the Book of Life, the actual Lamb's Book of Life. So you, you want your name in this book, and we're, we're taking reservations this morning, this afternoon. <laughs> um, I'm serious. I mean, I, if you can get killed on, on the way to church to teach a Bible study, you can get killed at any moment. This is urgent. I was just 38. So here's Papa. My great-grandmother was beside him. She was a victim of osteoporosis. She was all slumped over in this life. I know it must have been painful. I never heard her complain about it. She wasn't missing fingers like Papa. She was missing teeth. She didn't have any teeth. 
well, she had some, but they were what she called store-bought teeth. They were, <laughs> they were dentures. She did not like them. She did not wear them often, except to church on Sunday mornings. Um, my great-grandmother, Hattie, smiled at me. She was a good six inches taller at the gates of heaven because she was standing upright. And, of course, the most glorious thing happened when she saw me. She smiled at me, and it was the first time I ever saw her real smile. So everybody there was perfect. There's only one person in heaven with scars, and that's Jesus Christ, to remind us of how we got there. But none of those other people, you, I mean, you should have seen me back on earth. I mean, I look like I fell in a farm implement from the neck down. I've had 34 major surgeries to put me back together. I was told I would never walk again. If they were able to reattach the leg, I was told that this arm would just hang by my side if they were able to put it back on, but this is the arm, and this is my leg. So I believe God is still in the miracle business, but in heaven, I had no scars on me. I was perfect. You won't either, inside or out. Well, what was that like? What, what did you feel like in your body? What did it feel like? You said your grandfather ended up hugging you. What, what does that feel like? Uh, what was uh, unspeakable joy. Uh, there really aren't any words for it. One of the most frustrating things about talking about heaven is we don't have earthly words to do it justice. But it was a great reunion. Papa knew I was coming. He embraced me. What a warm embrace that was. I mean, the last, really, literally, the last time I saw him, he was in a coffin. And I was, we were all devastated. Now he's perfect and blissful and joyful. And, and all these people, aunts, uncles, uh, some friends from high school who had died in tragic accidents themselves were over here to the side of me. My next door neighbor, Miss Norris, was over here. There were teachers there of a wide variety of people, such a variety that I was thinking to myself when I saw them, they didn't even know each other back here on earth. What would have brought them together to meet me at the gate? And I know I had several years to lay in a hospital bed to think about it. They all helped me get there. These are the people who took me to church when I was a little boy, didn't have any other way to go because my parents didn't go to church. Somebody had to take me. Miss Norris took me. Your next Mike, friend. Mike, my friend from high school that was killed when he was 18, he took me, mm. he took me to church because I didn't have a driver's license yet. But he'd been going since he was a little boy and he wanted to make sure I got to go too. They met me at the gates. These are people who gave me Bibles. These are people who told me, well, they lived a Christian life in front of me so I knew how that life was supposed to be lived. So they influenced me for Christ. So I'm laying there in the hospital bed when I finally got to the point where I could think. And I thought to myself, why did the, oh, these are the people who helped me get there. And then I asked the question that I've asked everybody since, who are you going to greet? Hmm. Who's going to be there because of you? And I really, I asked God as I tried to recover, why you sent me back for this? Because I was, I was really in horrible shape physically, emotionally. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah, two all the year, ways two, you can. Three years of yeah, three years before I was fully and you, you still recover from stuff. Yeah, I today. still have a lot of stuff that doesn't work very well, but you know, I got hit by a truck. Um, so I'm, <laughs> you know, but I, you know, I can get from point A to point B. Yeah. I, I, I still answer the bell when it rings, um, and I'm motivated by helping people understand that heaven is a real place and Jesus is the way to the place. And that you can have a more meaningful life here even if something terrible has happened to you. You can be bitter about it or you can be better by devoting 
your circumstances to blessing someone else. Mm. I, I spent about 30 minutes or 20 minutes with the Breedlove family just a few moments ago. Mm. And uh, we're talking about that. We're talking about uh, being in Virginia and having a bunch of parents uh, f- from Virginia show up to a speaking meeting like this. And all of their kids have been killed on the campus of Virginia Tech University. Mm. And they came to tell me that they had decided to form scholarships in the names of all their children in their memory. Couldn't afford to go to college, could now go to school, and they found their new normal. And uh, everyone does, you know. Either that or you'll just be bitter for the rest of your life because of your circumstances. Or you can decide, and it's a decision that won't come naturally, I am not going to be defeated by this. I'm going to use this. I, I want to put this behind me, but God wants to put it in front of me. And this is what he wants to use to bless other people. So it's the difference between this and this. Mm-hmm. Helping somebody else. It is. Well, so you're, you've got this huge welcoming yes. crew around you. And you're, you're coming up to this massive city and a, and a gate. What did the gate look like? It is a massive city. Uh, it really is the city of God. It's interesting in the Bible. Every time it talks about heaven, it does it in concrete terms. Assuming that we're smart enough to know that heaven is a real place. Uh, As you spoke earlier, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. So it's an awesome place. More real than this, because one of these days this place won't be here, and neither will you. Death right here is 100%. We're not getting out of this alive. (laughs) So you got to be ready for what happens next. And then some of you are very young, and you're not even, that's not on your radar. But it better be. I told you about the two 18-year-olds that I saw. In heaven, mm-hmm. you got to be ready all the time. I, I, I'm looking at an oyster. It really is a gate made of pearl. It's a it's a pearly gate, but it's it's incredibly ornate, and very dazzling, and the light is reflecting off the gate that makes it look alive. And I know that light is from God, and it's reflecting off the gate. It's it's huge, but the entrance is quite small by comparison. So I'm looking over the heads of these people, and I'm seeing through the gate, very thick wall. And I could see this boulevard running down the middle of the city. So you could see through the pearlescent. Absolutely. So yes. So it wasn't, it wasn't solid pearl. There was something was different. Well, it, for, it's, like the, it's like the street. The street, or really it's, it's wide, so it's a boulevard. The entrance is small. The street is wide. It, it's golden. It's a golden street. And I, I know it's made out of gold, but this gold is gold you can see through. It's that pure. Now, here on earth, that's simply impossible. But yeah. in, in heaven, it's not. It's God's place. He can do whatever he wants. On both sides, magnificent structures. By any standard I can think of, they're mansions. Everybody gets one. You're going to like these a lot. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not sure how much time you want to spend on them, but, I mean, wouldn't it be better to walk around and talk to, like, Ruth or Mary or Peter? I mean, that's, I'm, I'm really pumped about that possibility. But you, you, these mansions, in the center of the city, high and lifted up, is a hill. It's really a precipice. There is a river flowing from it. We not, shouldn't be surprised. The river you saw of, all this. Yeah, the river of life flows from the throne So was it like that guy I, I quoted, where you, your vision is not, well, you can see miles the, away? The vision or? is almost incomprehensible because, well, it's, it's like all the questions people ask about heaven. And there are good questions. But in heaven, you would never ask a question about heaven. You know. You just know. 
So there's no, there's no, questions are not necessary because, because of your sight, because of your senses, heaven's a sensory explosion really for all of our senses, touch and sound. I didn't taste anything, but I know if I did, it would have been wonderful. And we will, incidentally, we will dine at the Lord's table. This is one of the things that he wants us to do is to be at his table. And in heaven, we don't eat for sustenance, we eat for fellowship. The church has been way ahead of the curve on this for years because we eat for fellowship at the church all the time. But it's literal in heaven. God wants his children together at the same time. And so he'll, we'll dine with him. Isn't that an amazing prospect? I didn't, I didn't get to do that, but I, I know that I will someday. So all these things, the, 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 I saw colors I've never seen. I smelled aromas I've never smelled here. And I don't really have words for them because they're heavenly. They're not earthly. We don't have words for them. I, I embrace the people. I, I'm walking through the gate and I'm hearing awesome music. I mean, there were yeah, angels. Talk about the music. Yeah, I heard, you... I heard angels too, and they were singing some of the music. But I was stunned to not only hear their voices, but I was amazed to hear their wings. I could actually hear the wings of angels all over the place. The music was my most vivid memory of heaven. I wouldn't have thought that before it happened. I mean, I am musical. I like music. But there were thousands of songs at the same time without chaos. Now, here on earth, two songs at the same time could be pretty chaotic. <laughs> but in, in heaven, you're going to hear thousands of songs at the same time and distinguish each one of them with your heavenly ears. Is that there, because time is different? Or, I mean, it's kind of hard to picture. I think it's because God loves music so much. Hmm. And, and he loves to hear from his children. Uh, and, and, and praise and worship is that. Whether you're singing in a, in a, um, in a, in a tent in Norway like I've done, or uh, uh, under a banyan tree in Hawaii, you know, preaching to people who are sitting on the beach. I mean, wherever we are, whether it's on a reservation in Montana uh, to the beat of drums, I mean, God, he knows our hearts. And when we're lifting up our praises to him, it just gives him great joy. Hallelujah, glory to God, worthy is the Lamb. Praise the Lord. Only one song really actually was distinguished among all the songs that were being lifted up to him, and it was holy, holy holy. I distinctly remember that because he is holy. We shouldn't be surprised. And they're singing that to him. Mm. And uh, gee, I'm not holy. Uh, it, it reminded me of how unholy I was and how unholy I am. It also reminded me of the grace of God mm -hmm. and the sacrifice of Jesus that made me eligible to be in heaven and hear that music. I can still hear it. The more weary I grow here on earth, the louder the music gets. Mm. So you were heading in and yeah. then it stopped? Yeah, I was so confused. I was, I was just in such bliss and joy and happiness. And I wasn't thinking about earth. Like I said, people don't, the people up there are not really worried about here. They're not missing you, they're expecting you if you're coming. And so I'm in and it stopped. I mean, I found myself in silence and darkness. And what I wanted to do when everything stopped was just to cry out, God, what's happening? I just, I just got here. I, I never got to even say that because before I uttered anything, I heard a voice out of this darkness. And the darkness was a tarp in a car. And the man behind me was a preacher who came from the same conference. And he was singing, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And as he sang it, I started singing with him in the dark. And he got out of the car and said, really fast, get out of the car. 
and said, the dead man is singing. And I was. 90 minutes after they pronounced you 90 dead. minutes after. The, the accident happened at 11.45 a.m. on the bridge. At 1.15 in the afternoon, Pastor Dick Honorecker was holding onto my right shoulder because it's the only thing I didn't break. And he was singing, what a friend we have in Jesus, in the dark because we're both covered up. And I started singing it with him. Wow. Well, and I had a chance to sit down with Don and do an hour and a half interview yesterday. And you're going to see clips from that in the weeks to come.